from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast where we also veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons, Chantel, Sonia, Dan, Maya, Galen, Linda, Teresa, my dear three Emmas, Jessica, Lady Janice, Marie, Elena, Alethea, John, Nanette, Rachel, Sophie, Whitney, David, Catherine, Trudy, and Stacy. Thank you so, so much, guys. You are truly appreciated. All of my patrons are. Thank you so, so much. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patron. Like, share, and subscribe. It just might help our little community grow. And if you happen to watch on YouTube and also use Spotify, well, consider watching on Spotify instead as they have been kind enough to sponsor me and we all know how YouTube is. But my podcasts are all written with a listener only in mind, so nothing is missed. If there is a slight hum in the background, I do apologize for that. I have a fan going because it is Satan's armpit in this room. Bear with me. This week's podcast will be on the murder of Judith Barcy. Judith Eva Barcy was born on June 6, 1978 in Los Angeles, California. So as we do, let's get into some history for that time. So the biggest news of 1978, at least for our community, is the Jonestown Massacre. After seeing that what he thought was going to be a utopia for his followers in Guyana began to crumble and he was quickly losing control, he commanded 900 people of his church, the People's Temple, to commit suicide by drinking poisoned, laced Kool-Aid. Some who refused were forced to drink and still others were shot. Of the 900 people found dead, 300 of them were children. And there's a lot more to it, but you get the gist. The Camp David Peace Accords was signed by Egypt and Israel in an effort to secure peace between the two nations that were at war, which ended a 31-year state of war for those regions. In the United Kingdom, we see the first test tube baby was born. The world's first human conceived through in vitro fertilization, a healthy baby girl, was born that July. 
We see the Caribbean island of Dominica gained its independence from Great Britain this year. And in Spain, a new constitution was established, restoring its democracy and ending 40 years of a dictatorship under Francisco Franco. Japanese car imports in 1978 accounted for half of the U.S. import market following the energy crisis and increase in fuel prices that created the demand for fuel-efficient cars. We also see Sweden be the first nation to ban aerosol sprays that were thought to damage the Earth's ozone layer. So, you see, this was the world that Judith was born into. Her parents were Josef or Joseph and Maria Barsi. I'm going to call him Joseph. Joseph was born in Hungary in 1932 during the reign of Admiral Horthy. His last name tells us that his ancestors were most likely from Bars, which today is Tekov in Slovakia. His mother had him out of wedlock, making him an illegitimate child, which was considered very bad back in the day. He actually never knew his father, and because of he and his mother's station in life, well, he was considered less than socially and was bullied by other children and even from his own school teachers. It was later speculated by one of his daughters from his first marriage that he resented his mother for allowing his father to abandon him and consequently viewed all women as, quote, whores. So at 19 years old, he fled communist Hungary and went to France. There, he met another Hungarian refugee, Clara, and the two would go on to get married. Together, he and Clara had two children, a son born in 1957 and a daughter in 1958. During this time, Joseph developed a drinking problem and began to physically abuse his wife. In 1964, the now 22-year-old Joseph took his family and moved to New York. This is when he began to not only abuse his wife, but then his son as well. At this point, Clara had had enough, took the children, and fled to Arizona in 1969. Now, sources say he did try to reconcile with Clara, and we have to assume he moved to Arizona to be near them. But one night, in a drunken rage, he threw a cast iron skillet at her, hitting her and blacking her eye. And that was the last straw. Clara filed for divorce. Joseph then moved to Los Angeles, where he worked as a plumbing contractor. Now, it was while in a restaurant that was sort of a common meeting place for immigrants, and some places even described it as a bar, is where he met Maria. Maria also happened to be a refugee from Hungary, having escaped the Soviet occupation. She was born in 1940 in rural southern Hungary into apparently a family that had at least a bit of money. But a couple of sources said she had suffered psychological and physical abuse from her father. I didn't see a lot of sources with that information, but it was there, so I thought I would note it. It was also said that Maria, too, had been previously married, but was divorced. 
She had decided to move to Los Angeles to be near Hollywood so that she could be close to that industry and her idols. Joseph and Maria married in 1977. He was 45 years old and Maria was 37. Very shortly after their wedding, Maria discovered she was pregnant. Now, it was said that she had very much wanted to start a family. It was entirely unclear if Joseph had wanted any more children, but regardless, Judith was born in June of 78. Now, from the beginning, Maria had decided she wanted her little girl to be in the entertainment industry. She taught Judith about poise and posture, social grace, and so on. Maria's brother was later interviewed where he said, quote, I said I wouldn't waste my time. I told her the chances are one in 10,000 that she would succeed, end quote. But this, of course, didn't deter her from her dream for Judith to be an actress. And then one day in 1983, it just so happened that a film crew was filming something around the local ice rink where Maria had taken Judith and she was noticed. They approached her and her mother and asked if Judith could be a part of their commercial, to which Maria excitedly agreed. Judith was just five years old, though they had thought she was three because she was so petite. Her very first commercial was for Donald Duck orange juice. Ever since mom and dad found out that Donald Duck is 100% pure orange juice, they've been acting kind of funny. Oh, Pure orange juice. And she would go on to star in countless other commercials. New fruit wrinkles are made with real fruit. Oh, don't look sad. You look cuter with a smile. If it comes from fruit corners, it's made with real fruit. Love your eyes. She loves to swim. Baby Kiki doll comes with slippers, a paddleboard, and this swimsuit. She's new from Mattel. She was charming, bubbly, and happy, and very easy to work with. And it would seem that Maria wasn't the typical kind of momager, as I believe they call it these days. But sources say she went to great lengths to try to give her daughter a normal, happy childhood, bringing her traditional Hungarian meals for her school lunch when she was in school. In 1984, Judith got her first role in a TV miniseries called Fatal Vision, where she played the part of a daughter of the main character. She continued on making guest appearances on television. One such appearance was on the immensely popular show at that time, Cheers, and even an episode of The Twilight Zone. But she starred in 14 TV shows and TV movies before she went on to begin working on major motion pictures. Sources say that starting in 1985, when Judith was seven years old, Joseph, who we already know was a bit of a mean drunk, began drinking quite heavily. And some say he was a full-blown alcoholic at this point. He began kind of skipping out on work, staying at home and drinking, and money was beginning to get tight. 
Maria offered to go get a job, but Joseph refused, and Judith wasn't making, you know, big actor money just yet. So this caused them to have to sign up for welfare for a short period of time, which furthered Joseph's anger, and he began to get a bit verbally abusive towards his wife in front of little Judith. Whatever the catalyst was, Joseph's drinking and anger was intensifying. In his drunken rages, he began threatening to end his own life, and that escalated to him threatening to end the lives of his young daughter and Maria, then himself. During this time, he was also arrested three times after being pulled over for drinking and driving. In 1986, Judith was chosen for the movie Eye of the Tiger alongside Gary Busey. It would appear this was her first major movie she starred in. After, she guest starred in two episodes of The Love Boat, both when she was eight years old. December of that same year, Joseph's threats of violence, as well as the now domestic violence that she was receiving at his hands, was enough that Maria called the police. When they arrived, they didn't see any physical signs of abuse, and Maria decided not to press charges. But some good came out of the police encounter because it was said that he did quit drinking, at least for a while. The threats against his wife and daughter, though, didn't. To give you an example, his threats consisted of things such as threatening to slit their throats, burning their house down, and refusing to allow Maria to travel and visit Hungary, where a beloved family member was dying. He was afraid Maria would take Judith out of the United States and stay. Judith herself told a friend that her father was so angry once that he threw pots and pans at her, one hitting her and causing her to have a nosebleed. And then in 1987, Judith landed a role in the movie Jaws the Revenge. There's some coffee in the thermos. I'm too young for coffee. Can I drive? And her career really began to take off. She earned around $100,000, which today would be like something like a quarter of a million dollars, which afforded her and her parents to buy a nice four-bedroom house in the quiet neighborhood of West Hills at the foot of Bell Canyon. Judith continued to work, and then in 1988, when she was 10 years old, she was hired to do the voice of the dinosaur, Ducky, in The Land Before Time. What is your name? Maybe you cannot talk yet, huh? Huh? This is often the movie people think of that were around when that movie came out because it was hugely successful. And the Ducky character really was a fan favorite. But things at home were becoming so intense that as a stress response, Judith began stress eating and starting to gain weight. Her developing anxiety was becoming such that she even began compulsively ripping out her own eyelashes and even pulling out the family cat's whiskers. We know this to be trichotillomania. So to briefly summarize, Trichotillomania is the intense and often uncontrollable urge to pluck or rip out one's hair. 
Most pluck out hair from their own head, but can also attack their own eyebrows, eyelashes, genital area, beard, or mustache. While the exact cause is unknown, it is thought that it is a stress response due to feeling anxious. It is a type of impulse control disorder. It would also appear that she was not growing as she naturally should. She was still quite small for her age. Her agent, Ruth Hansen, stated she was quite easily able to play children a few years younger than what she was. She said, quote, when she was 10, she was still playing 7, 8, end quote. Sources say that she was beginning to receive injections to try to catch her up physically because she was a bit undersized for her age. But Ruth also described her as a happy, bubbly little girl, quite the actress, little Judith, because at home, her father was still threatening to kill her and her mother, or just her, to make Maria suffer. A friend of Joseph was interviewed later, and he said that he remembered Joseph telling him hundreds of times that he wanted to kill his wife. The friend stated that he would try to calm him down and tell him, if you kill her, what will happen to your little one? To which Joseph would reply, I gotta kill her too. During this time, Judith was playing with a kite. Her father ripped it from her hand, and when she quietly protested, he called her a spoiled brat who didn't know how to share. He then smashed the kite to pieces. When Judith was starring in Jaws, she and her mother were preparing to catch a flight to the film location, and Joseph threatened young Judith with a knife to her throat and said, quote, If you decide not to come back, I'll cut your throat. End quote. She was 10 years old, friends. 10. Maria's own brother later stated that he overheard Joseph before Judith and Maria were to fly to New York say to his own daughter, quote, remember what I told you before you left. He said Judith just burst into tears. The young girl began telling friends that she was scared to go home. She told them, quote, my daddy is drunk every day and I know he wants to kill my mother, end quote. Can you imagine being a 10-year-old child being that intensely aware of that? So just before an audition with her agent there, unprovoked, little Judith became inconsolable and what her agent described was hysterical. She said, quote, that's when I realized how bad Judith was. She was crying hysterically. She couldn't talk, end quote. The agent seeming to be one of the good ones with good intentions, and that's a whole other podcast if you want, let me know. She spoke with Maria and insisted she take Judith to a child psychiatrist. Maria took her, and since people in this field are mandated reporters, and side note, I am actually a mandated reporter myself, the case was reported to the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services. The child psychiatrist reported that Judith was being subjected to severe physical and emotional abuse. 
And while this was thankfully followed up on, Maria assured the assigned caseworker that she fully intended to start the process of divorcing her husband and that she would take her daughter and leave. So the investigation was dropped. But the truth is Maria was too scared to take Judith and leave her husband and their home. She was terrified that he really would do something to both of them. She actually told one of her neighbors, quote, I can't because he'll come after us and kill us and he's threatened to burn the house down, end quote. So around this time, Judith voiced the character of Anne Marie in the cartoon movie, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Where are your parents? I'm an orphan. But this would be her last. The physical abuse that Judith was experiencing was increasing. One story goes that he picked her up by one of her pigtails and threw her to the floor, bloodying her little nose. His apology was in the form of buying her a pink TV for her room. It was said that Joseph began having little side affairs on Maria, seeing other women. That developed into him having full-on other girlfriends on the side that he would buy gifts for and take on getaways, all while still demanding Maria stay home, not work, or really have any kind of social life. And again, he would remind her that if she left him, he would kill her or their daughter to punish her. With Maria feeling quite hopeless, she decided that perhaps if she couldn't leave him, she would do what she could to make him leave her, which is a strategy, you might say. So she didn't keep her appearances up, which she had been pretty proud of, though she wasn't conceited. She stopped cleaning the house and she let it get pretty bad, but that did nothing. And since Maria was basically a prisoner, she would confide in the neighbors who offered her to bring Judith and stay with them until things settled down, but Maria never took them up on it. Now, she managed to drum up enough courage to rent her and Judith a small apartment in Panorama City, which was much closer to the movie studios. But really, she was using the apartment as an escape from her husband. She would take Judith there, unbeknownst to Joseph, just so that she, and most importantly, Judith, could have some peace Maria would tell him that they were busy all day with auditions and whatnot as a cover, but would hang out in the apartment by day, then unfortunately would have to return in the evenings. Maria then began to take things she thought Joseph would not notice were missing and transfer them to the apartment, little by little, and this went on for a couple of weeks. Then in early July, 1988. Maria had put a few things in her car to secretly take over to the apartment and told Joseph they had some sort of plans. This time, Joseph, who had become suspicious, decided to follow his wife to see where she was really going. When he saw her taking the boxes out of her car at the apartment, he exploded with rage and confronted her. She explained that she was helping a friend move. Nothing to worry about, right? Except now he knew where the apartment was. Therefore, if she left him, he'd know exactly where to go. 
She confided in friends and family about how disheartened she was. Plus, Judith had worked hard to earn the money to afford them that nice house, and quite frankly, and disappointingly, Maria didn't want to give that up. She knew if she left Joseph, he would keep the house and everything. On July 25th, 1998, the neighbors reported seeing 10-year-old Judith riding around on her bike as she often did, enjoying the warm, sunny weather. That evening, like any other evening, was stressful, but the family had dinner and Maria put Judith to bed. Then she herself went to bed while Joseph was still up drinking and watching television. Once he knew both girls were asleep, he went and got his gun, walked into Judith's room and shot her in the head, killing her instantly. What is believed happened next is that Maria had awakened to the sound of the gunshot and got up to see what was going on. Joseph then shot her in the head while she was in the hallway, trying desperately to get past him to get to her daughter's room. She too died instantly. And then for the next two days, yes, two days, Joseph lived in that house as if nothing had happened. The day after he murdered his wife and child, the agent called looking for Judith because she hadn't shown up to a recording session to finish out her lines for All Dogs Go to Heaven. He told her that a black car had come and picked the girls up, but he didn't know beyond that. So again, after living with the remains of those girls in the house for two days, on the morning of the 27th, Joseph then poured gasoline over their bodies and lit them on fire. Immediately after, he walked into the garage of their home and fatally shot himself in the head. A neighbor heard the loud boom while watering her plants outside and saw smoke coming from the home and immediately they knew he had done it. The neighbor said, quote, My first thought as I ran in to call 911 was, He's done it. He's killed them and set a fire in the house just like he said he would. End quote. So, once the fire was under control and out, the firefighters then found the bodies. When news broke, it became a big story, even though Judith had just begun to really be a recognizable face or name. And then Child Protective Services came under fire because the caseworker had dropped the case. Now, I'll admit that it would be my first sort of go-to as well, but the caseworker had nearly double the caseload that they were supposed to have. And we have all heard about the shortage of caseworkers within social services, but it takes a rare type of person to be able to do that kind of work and, God forbid, people take care of their kids and do right by them. <sighs> but the caseworker was made aware that Maria had secured other living arrangements, and quite frankly, Maria had convinced the worker that she fully intended to leave her abusive husband quickly. And let's face it, she was. Maria had taken steps to leave, and yet this still happened. 
So why? That is always my driving force when it comes to true crime. Why? Why? What could have possibly pushed this man to decide that the only option for him was to murder his wife and his young daughter rather than settle the fuck down and just love them? We can look at this in a couple of ways. He had grown up very poor in a sort of industrial part of Hungary with no father, and back then there was a huge stigma about that. He was bullied horrendously and eventually had to leave and become a refugee in France to escape the Soviet communist regime. But he had squeaked out an existence for himself, gotten married, and had two beautiful children, and yet was not satisfied. He had this violence within him, and he took it out on his family, who were forced to run from him and quite literally moved to nearly the opposite corner of the United States to get away from him. But life went on. He met Maria and charmed her, and they too married and had Judith, who was on her way to becoming a successful child star, and yet he still chose violence. Why did he not learn from his first marriage? Some say it was jealousy that led him to murder, that Judith had obtained some level of financial success that he had never been able to, and he possibly felt slighted or ashamed of that. And pride is a bitch, as we all know. If you let it, it will eat you up, consume you throughout, and potentially ruin your life, which I believe is partially the case with this story. The other part is control. I couldn't find much of anything about his mother at all and obviously nothing about his father, so we can't come at this with any biological angle. But there is some evidence with the environmental issues. Oppressive government, being raised very poor, coming from a broken home, the stigma of being an illegitimate child, the bullying that I'm sure he felt powerless to stop, and we don't even know if his mother was good to him or not. Was she loving, or like mine? Did she metaphorically, but practically have ticker tape outside her bedroom door? Sure, women shouldn't be shamed into celibacy, but in the same breath, a parent must always choose the mental and physical well-being and peace of their child. But again, we just don't know. He had no control over his early life that he felt was not good, and possibly rightfully so. But again, he was able to come to the United States, to the land of opportunity, and create a good life, but he could not settle his mind. It would seem he wanted to completely dominate the members of his family to the point that he felt violence was the only way to make them be compliant. And of course, we know this is never really successful. He felt he should be able to do whatever and whomever he wanted while his wife and child suffered any and all consequences. To my dying day, I will never understand, and I have studied human behavior my entire life. When it comes to the abuse, neglect, or murder of children, I will never understand it. So you tell me, guys, what you think. 
I love to read all of your comments, so please feel free to leave me a comment or DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. You can email me. I have a P.O. box. All of my contact information is in the notes. But most importantly, thank you so much, guys, for listening, because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me, and I really appreciate that. Thanks for understanding that I took last week off. I really don't make a habit of that, as you guys know. But anyway, have a good day. Anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer. And whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time, and then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing. 